It's time for episode 295 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, May 22nd, 2019. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast where we've got plenty of time on our hands. I'm your co-host, Dan Morin, and I am joined across the internet by my good friend and co-host, Mr. Micah Sargent. How are you doing, Micah? I am doing all right. Uh, time, yeah, it's, it's on my hands and I can't wipe it off for some reason. <laughs> I've used Out. all sorts of, of cleaning supplies and... Oh, man. Hmm. Uh, Well, this is the podcast where we talk about four technology topics with two fantastic guests. To my left this week, it is a prominent podcaster, broadcaster, uh, all sorts of casting. (laughs) Our our favorite Slovenian tech critic is back. Andrzej Tomic, welcome to Clockwise. Yeah, just doing all of the casting, then. Just just all the casting, basically. Left and right. Left and right. And to my left is prolific podcaster for many a year and a, a technology geek with an ever so slight Macintosh bias. Who could it be? You know her. We know her. We love her. It's Allison Sheridan. Hello, Allison. Hello, Micah. Let's talk about some tech in a really concise amount of time. <laughs> I think that's what we do. Here. I yeah. like your spirit. All right. Let's kick things off. Once again, Apple has redesigned its laptop keyboards, this time for sure. Does this make a difference to you in terms of your recommendations of these computers, your choices to buy one? Did this never affect you in the first place? Uh, or is this maybe starting to feel like Apple crying wolf? This time we've really fixed it. What are your thoughts on that? Anjay, let's start with you. Yeah, well, the recommendation is the the thing, right? Because I've been, like, telling people for the last couple of years, you know, they're great laptops, but, right, like, that was always there. Although I do have two friends who bought them, and they've just, they've just been fine. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, I'm not really, my batting average going with the baseball stuff is not that <laughs> great. But, uh, yeah, like, the recommendations have been tough uh, the last couple of years. Like, it used to be, you know, you, you should just get, a like, if you want a good laptop, just get a MacBook. Like, that was my line, basically. And, you know, or on the Windows side, like the Lenovo stuff, the ThinkPads. But now with the keyboard, um, it's even tougher over here. Like, I'm not saying, like, w- w- like they won't fix it over here. But, you know, we don't really have an Apple Apple store. We just have, like, the premier reseller partner stores, right? And they'll do all of that stuff. But I, I've, I just, it's, it's always harder for me to sort of recommend anything that might have, like, a flaw built in. And, like, the keyboard dies and then you're out of a laptop for a couple of weeks. And this is like the third time they're tr- like saying, you know, yay, this is this is the one. The last one had the membrane. This one has is made of, you know, pixie duster. I don't know what they're doing this time. <laughs> but I just I, I really like it's still hard to just to say anything because like the membrane, we all remember the membrane, right? That one was supposed to fix everything, like no dust particles and stuff, you know, like I just figured that whole, you know, Apple support document where with the 75 degree angle and can of air thing was going to disappear and like three days later like people's keyboard started dying so you know i'm sure the pixie dust is awesome this year but yeah i'll, I'll wait a couple of weeks i'll basically wait for casey johnston to write another article <laughs> like i think like she's on it right now and we'll see so yeah not really convinced this time around 
I'm right there with you. Um, I don't know. I just, I think there's been some uh, lost trust for sure. And I already tend to get blamed for anything that Apple does, uh, like with family members. You well, know, it, is, oh. it is your fault. It is my fault. Yeah, yeah that's true. Um, but I, I, you know, I have not come to, I'm in denial about that. Um, and so every time something breaks or they hear something on the news or, you know, this, that or the other, they're always like looking at me like, yeah, what do you think now? What about that? Apple's done this. Um, this has nothing to do with me. I write about Apple, but it's not, it's not my fault. And so because of that, I am very careful about what I recommend or don't recommend for folks because I do feel bad, you know, something doesn't work after I've said, yeah, this was the thing to get. Um, and so that makes me very uh, wary. Oh, that's a nice rhyme this morning uh, to recommend one of these laptops for someone who's asking, what's the next laptop that I should get? And in fact, my partner has been saying, what's the next laptop that I should get? And while I want to be able to say, Hey, brah, you should definitely get the uh, you should definitely get the MacBook Pro again because that's what he would be replacing. I don't know that I can say that. So yeah, I I don't know that you know it's necessarily the case that the laptops will continue to be bad in terms of the keyboard, but I don't know that that's not the case. And so I don't think that it's smart for me to recommend one of those products. Allison, what are your thoughts? Well, I thought it was really interesting that this announcement came out coincident with Apple announcing that they will now fix all uh, MacBook Pro keyboards for free, all butterfly keyboards for free. They just announced that. Um, they also said that they have been able to figure out how to do this locally. So in theory, if you have an Apple store and you don't live in Slovenia, you can get uh, your uh, keyboard fixed like within 24 hours. So instead of losing your laptop for five days, which to me is an eternity, um, so that was kind of interesting that they came out with that announcement at the same time. Um, I've had the 2016 MacBook Pro with the butterfly keyboard, which I think was generation two, the one after the MacBook. And, um, you know, I do get stuck keys from time to time, but I just bang on them for a couple of days and then they get better. <laughs> so um, I also don't eat bagels above my laptop um, and I use an external keyboard most of the time. So that may be why it's not a problem for me. Um, but I was actually really bummed that they came out with this announcement because uh, I've gotten a new laptop every three years for like nine years or 12 years. So I was counting them on them coming out with something new and awesome and cool and a total redesign this year. So when they came out with this, I'm like, oh, maybe they're not going to come out with something cool for me. That 16 inch laptop. I don't know. So now I'm, I'm just totally bummed that if they did fix the keyboard, I'm not getting a new laptop. <laughs> How are new materials not cool in a keyboard? <laughs> like, that's what you're looking for with the upgrades. New all, materials it does blow my dress keyboard. up. You're, you're right, Andre. I agree. You know, I like too. I, I'm, I'm going to make a bold statement here. I think, actually, the real problem here may be less the keyboards and more the optics around this whole issue. Because Apple maintains it's a small number of these keyboards. We don't have hard data about it. We have uh, anecdotal data that says that there are all these failures. And so, are they a disproportionate number? It doesn't really matter at the end of the day because what matters is it looks bad <laughs> and apple has to do something to combat that at least from a pr perspective if not from a mechanical engineering perspective but at the same time it does start to feel on a pr standpoint kind of like that old rocky and bullwinkle routine where bullwinkle goes hey rocky watch me pull the rabbit out of my hat <laughs> You know, that trick never works this time for sure. You know, it's it's really not convincing in the way that they keep saying we fixed it, because if they didn't fix it the last three times, 
why should we trust them this time? Pixie dust. Yeah, the pixie dust. They'll <laughs> sprinkle a little bit of that over that. That's what jams the keys, and then it's just a whole cycle. Um, yeah, so uh, it's good that they're acknowledging that, and it's good that they're improving the repair times. Uh, but I think, you know, I think ultimately they have to redesign the keyboard just to get away from this story. Thanks for your thoughts on that. Let us go to topic number two, which comes from Anjay. So Google cut off Huawei's uh, Android license because of a trade war between the U.S. and China. So given how you know intertwined the two countries are, especially the tech sector, like what are some other relationships between the Chinese and American companies that can be affected in this if this dispute continues? Like I'm saying dispute, but it's kind of a war now. <laughs> so yeah, a little bit yeah. of a cold war. Eh? Yeah. So I I think that one that comes to mind certainly is so. Every time Apple holds an earnings call, I uh, do a live transcription of the call. And uh, one thing that always comes up is Apple's relationship with China and what uh, both Tim and Luca think are sort of the headwinds regarding Apple and its relationship with China and their thoughts on sort of the current trade war that, you know, exists. And so that's the company that comes to mind for me uh, and the relationship that comes to mind for me. Uh, China is quite a large market and Apple sells phones there, sells devices there. And if this continued trade war goes on, then we've got all sorts of companies who currently market their products and sell their products over there that are potentially at risk. And if, you know, every time we've got an earnings call coming up, um, the investors are asking about Apple in China, then I think that's one company for sure that has to sort of keep an eye on things and hope that these uh, two countries can figure out their differences in all of this. Well, this was a hard question, so I'd like to phone a friend, if that's okay. <laughs> yes, yes, sure. Phone yeah. away. So I actually posted your question, on Jay, to Tom Merritt, the host of the Daily Tech News Show, who's the smartest guy in tech I know, and he gave me a, a really great answer. He sent me an article from the BBC that was just posted yesterday that had a warning from the United States government about Chinese-made drones. So remember, there's two different things happening here. There's the trade war stuff, but there's also the concerns about the privacy of our data and what could be happening with a company owned by essentially owned and operated by the uh, Chinese government, or at least highly influenced by the Chinese government for an adversary. So this is the, the Huawei dispute is really on the second category, not to diminish the first category of problems we've got going on. But anyway, in this BBC article, they said that the U S government is warning about Chinese made drones. Specifically, if you look at DJI, it is 70% of the market for drones costing more than $500 and made in China. Um, it turns out in this article, they quoted uh, the DJI and other drone manufacturers. They've both published uh, statements about how they don't share telemetry or visual data with internal or external parties. But we could end up seeing a ban on uh, drones made in China, which would be a, a huge impact to the fun of flying in my house. <laughs> Didn't Tom answer well? Uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> that, uh, the drone thing is a big part of that, I think. Um, at least certainly that market from a consumer standpoint has exploded over recent years. And the fact that such a huge percentage of them come from China is something that people are going to be more wary of, regardless of the, again, we're talking about optics too. Like, even if it's, uh, a company per, you know saying that they do not they don't share information people i think a lot of people are rightfully skeptical about that 
and that may alter their purchasing decisions. Uh, Micah's point also well taken, like a lot of companies do big business in, in China. I think also the thing to remember is that a lot of tech companies make their products in China, and that has a big impact. So Apple's uh, Apple's certainly relationships with manufacturers there like Foxconn uh, is a potential big issue because if that starts influencing it or if there's retaliatory uh, actions taken that make it harder for Apple to do its manufacturing as well as other companies to do their manufacturing. They have to go and find other sources of labor that could potentially provide big disruptions, could change cost structures, all of that. So, uh, you know, we've seen a very limited tip of this iceberg in terms of how this this dispute affects technology companies, but uh, there is a lot of that mass underwater and we, you know, the sea levels are lower. I'm trying to figure out where to go with this metaphor. <laughs> we're all on Titanic some- and we're heading towards that iceberg. There we go. I'm wrapping that up. Anjay, any last thoughts there? Uh, yeah, well, I'll be the European here. Like the, the one thing that struck me, because I've been doing like, uh, I've been dealing with this uh, sort of dispute and the whole uh, pulling of the license for the last couple of days at work. And like the one thing that kind of struck me, like us Europeans, we don't really have a proper horse in this race. Like it's all America and China. I get the trade war stuff, but even the the whole manufacturing, and we don't really have proper sort of s- smartphone brands. Like the the most Europe can master at the moment is like a like a Chinese factory making uh, like phones and then just putting a logo on it. You know, we don't even have like one of the top five maybe smartphone manufacturers. None of them are from Europe, so we're just kind of standing over here and watching. You know, you guys in China kind of duke it out, and we're hoping for the best. And it kind of really bummed me out. That's why you know just sort of the scope of this is not just you know the on the america and china sort of relations front it's it really is the whole of the west right i I think in china they'll probably be able to kind of deal without android but if they want to sell phones like in europe or in america it's going to be a lot like a lot tougher it's just i don't know i've i've been doing like covering tech for a while and this is like the weirdest things i've had to kind of brush up on and read it's the weirdest story in a while it's well, just it's wild basically if you're looking yeah. for some good background on trade negotiations might i recommend the phantom menace which is just really just nails it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay. yeah yeah see george lucas always a visionary he was basically. way ahead of his time yes. all yeah. right yeah. that is two topics down two topics to go which of course means it is halftime here at clockwise and this week's episode is brought to you by our good friends at linode with linode you yes you can instantly deploy and manage an SSD-based server in the Linode cloud, and you can get it up and running with your choice of Linux distro resources and node location in just seconds. Linode has hundreds of thousands of customers. They're all looked after by their incredible 24-7 support team. If you ever run into any problems, you can drop them an email, give them a call, or even chat over IRC in the Linode community if that is easier for you. Whatever suits you best, they're there for it. Oh, and they have some super useful guides and support documentation. So if you need to just quickly look something up, you can do that. I've used a number of those guides to uh, manage my server and, and update stuff. They are incredibly helpful, gigantic resource there. Their new management panel is now in beta at cloud.lino.com. It uses a single-page application uh, built on the cutting-edge React.js stack, and it's backed entirely by Linode's public API, and it's all open source. Plus, if you're worried about security, they feature two-factor authentication to keep you and all your data safe and secure. So, what does this mean for you? Linode has pricing options to suit everybody. Their plans start at a gigabyte of RAM for just $5 a month, and they offer high-memory plans starting with 16 gigabytes of RAM. 
And Linode has a special offer for you, very listeners of this show. You can go to linode.com slash clockwise and use promo code clockwise2019 to get $20 towards any Linode plan. If you use that one gigabyte of RAM plan, that's four free months. And with a seven-day money-back guarantee, you have absolutely nothing to lose. So go out there and give Linode a try today. That's linode.com slash clockwise, promo code clockwise2019 to learn more, sign up, and make the most of that $20 credit. Our thanks to Linode for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Halftime is over. Micah Sargent, what do you got? All righty. Uh, my question for you is Apple's new privacy-preserving ad-click attribution, the answer to ad tracking on the web. So TechCrunch published an article this morning about Apple reportedly figuring out uh, a way to sort of keep ads going without it encroaching too much on user privacy. So I'm curious, do you think that this is a step in the right direction? Do you think there's more work to be done here? Uh, What are your thoughts on this innovation from Apple? Allison, we'll start with you. Well, I thought this was interesting because the article that uh, TechCrunch uh, points to is at webkit.org. So they referred to it as being Apple, and it very well could have been Apple who wrote this article. But WebKit is an open source project that Apple contributes to. I don't know if they created it. I forget exactly the full history. Um, But it is on WebKit.org, so it might impact more than just Safari. Um, I do like where Apple is going here, where WebKit is going here. I find it interesting, though, in 2017, they added something called Intelligent Tracking Prevention, which they've got a tech support article that specifically says it limits cookies to first-party domains and prevents cross-site tracking, which is exactly what this new privacy-preserving ad-click attribution (laughs) says it's going to do. So I'm wondering whether this is the whack-a-mole we're watching here, where in 2017 they fixed it, now they're fixing it again in 2019. Um, so it, it is kind of interesting, but I, I do think, I mean, I absolutely support anything that helps us stop being tracked across the internet. Um, because you know, sorry, all you really need to know is that I bought this article that was advertised. I clicked on an ad and I bought it, or I even put it in my shopping cart. That's all you need to know. You don't need to tell everybody else that I did it. And in fact, maybe you don't even need to know that I did it. You only need to know that it was purchased because of an ad. That's all you really care about. You don't care that 61-year-old Allison in California bought it. That is not necessary for you to know that. I I don't think so. I fully support Apple in this article, and I look forward to uh, what they tell us in 2021, how they solve it. (laughs) Yeah, I think this is really the MacBook key keyboard of online tracking. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, nice. Uh, well, yeah, so I think there's a couple interesting things here. So, as Allison pointed out, WebKit is broader than just Apple, although it's mainly driven by Apple. So, this would primarily affect Safari. Chrome used to use WebKit but doesn't use it anymore. It uses a fork of WebKit. <sighs> which means there's a gigantic chunk of the browsing population whom this will have no effect for. Uh, they have to adopt some of these independently and Call me crazy, I don't see Google doing that anytime soon. That seems to work very much against some of their interests. So uh, Apple is kind of waging the good fight here, I think, but they're also doing it against odds that are, if not insurmountable, very challenging. Uh, a lot of the, the web is kind of arrayed against them here. And so I, I think, as Allison pointed out, not the first time they've tried to do something about this. I think it's great. Uh, but I do also think that there is a whack-a-mole aspect to it, as she said, because Every time they change something, a lot of the ad companies, especially the malicious ones that have no incentive to act in a reasonable, respectful manner, are just going to try to find a way around it. Also, this thing definitely needs a way better acronym because 
Papaka is not catchy. Find a way to market this, Apple. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, the two Ps sounded that great. Right? <laughs> I, this is where, like, anytime one of these sol- solutions, and I'm doing air quotes around it, like, sh- uh, comes up, it really is just a whack-a-mole game. Like, at least it's, it's been like this for a while now. Uh, but this is where it comes sort of the uh, edge, or, or, well, Microsoft, you know, using uh, Chromium and Blink, basically, for their uh, browser engine is even, like, it gets even more depressing that, like, the choice is kind of narrowing and sort of Chrome is winning. And I am a Chrome user, right? But I do like the fact that, uh, you know, WebKit, and when we say WebKit at this point, I guess it's Apple, you know, that's not really... (laughs) It used to be more of a collaborative effort, but now when Blink forked, I think WebKit is basically Apple. Well, I I do like the fact that there there should be choice, but not just choice in browsers, but just choice in the philosophy behind, like, the engines that sort of run the browsers. And WebKit... uh, the way Apple's been going with their other stuff sort of should be more privacy focused and then you know Chrome can do like <laughs> probably the opposite and th- that fight should still be happening right uh, and you know Microsoft for a, like, a long time there had their own you know engine and their own browser and now they're just folded into Chrome basically so that's that that's the depressing part even if Topaka Right, <laughs> was, uh, it's catching was on. A, uh, it's catching on. Catch, yeah, it's, yeah, I'm gonna make a T-shirt. Uh, if it, uh, you know, if it uh, basically if it worked, you know, as advertised, like everybody just switched to it, it'd be the Safari people, right? And then the, that whole Blink fork, I think, would just kind of ing- ignore it, and that's a sizable chunk. Like Dan said, just yeah, don't track us. I don't. Listen, that that's the final sentence there. Don't track me, bro. <laughs> don't. Oh my lord! Don't track me, bro. Too true. Uh, all, of course, excellent answers on that. You know, I don't, I don't have much to add other than to say, um, yeah, it's fascinating sort of watching different companies try different things and, and depending on what the company is and what their motivations are, how that changes what uh, technologies they're wanting to introduce. And I do find this interesting as a sort of middle of the road option versus including content blockers, you know, at the root level, like iOS does with, uh, with Safari and, and, you know, anywhere you browse. Um, this is a, hey, we can maybe do some, let's make sure ads still exist, but also uh, not let you create these profiles, these ghost profiles of us. Um, and I don't know what the answer is, but uh, luckily, I'm the one who asked the question, so I don't really have to give that answer. So let's go ahead and move <laughs> along to Allison's topic. I'd like to know whether you guys have considered buying an electric vehicle and what informs your thinking on this technology, on whether you would go for it or not go for it. I'm curious what you think. You know, I have a car that is, let's see, coming up on seven years old, and it's still got a lot of life in it. And I think that's the biggest thing that keeps me from going out and buying an electric car. But I, I even as I bought this car, I kind of resigned myself to thinking my next car might be an electric car. The things that hold me back right now are I do use my car mainly around town, but I take it on longer trips and the whole range anxiety issue of how far can I go is definitely uh, something that crops up for me. The other consideration for me as someone who lives in a kind of quasi-urban area is I don't have an off-street parking space. So there is no place to plug in my car when it's at home, which is a good place to charge it. So that is kind of something that uh, is a block for, I think, a lot of folks who live like me in maybe urban areas that don't have 
uh, parking garages or off-street parking. So uh, those are the kind of things that hold me back now. Maybe in a few years when my living situation has changed and when electric cars have improved further, I might be more seriously in the market for one, but uh, I'm kind of waiting to see where they go. Uh, yeah, well, uh, with me, I, I actually do have a what's off-street parking. I guess that's the phrase. I have a garage that's not connected mm-hmm. to the, the apartment building I live in. But if any of you would would have seen the the electrical wiring in that garage, because it's all <laughs> like I would not want to plug in. Like, I, I, there's a plug there. I've never plugged anything into that because it's just like. But that's that. Like that's that's the thing. Like all of that infrastructure basically has to be uh, there for you know to even consider sort of an electric car but i i do i do think um i do think i like the fact that it's not just tesla now i think like the big uh, car companies have kind of i guess I'll, I'll say woken up and started doing their own thing and i think that that has a like a bigger impact i think in people's minds in, my, in mine as well because you know the, the, the big companies uh, over here um, have you know very like spread out networks of you know like service uh, like stations and salons and stuff like uh, so if anything goes wrong you can just go anywhere and they'll basically fix it and stuff I know like less goes wrong with an electrical but like stuff still like goes wrong and you can get into crashes and stuff you know so because in Slovenia because we're so small like the range ex- uh, range anxiety is like that's pretty much non-existent because it's you know <laughs> nice. it's sort of three hours from end to end you know of the country so <laughs> like it's kind of perfect for all of that but i think like the infrastructure should be there and i also live in a city so like then that's not really you know the 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 ideal place if you have a house and you can just plug stuff in like i think that that that's where it it makes way way more sense but again like i'm kind of hoping the big car companies do some some interesting stuff because uh, right now you know every, every time tesla puts out another car they they may, like four months later they'll announce a price for the UK and that's about it. <laughs> like it doesn't really go much further than that. But I, but I do see Teslas here as well. Like a bunch of people bought them, but still, you know, it's not it's not quite there yet. And I think I'd be more comfortable. It would just be like normal cars, but you know, with electric engines in them. I've always said that my next vehicle would be an electric car of some sort. Um, for the longest, that meant me saying, "Of you know, my next car will be a Tesla," and I think that you know what Andre just touched on there—it's not just Tesla doing that, and that there are some other options. And I would like to see some more offerings from the big car companies for sure. So yeah, it's it's something that I had I would have no you know reason to reject the idea of doing it for sure. And um, there's. A lot of there are a lot of places uh, here in the Midwest that have charging stations for your electric vehicles and things like that. So range anxiety isn't so much of an issue either. I suppose driving uh, from one side of Missouri to the other might be even longer than driving from one side of your country to the other. Uh, but it's, I've noticed that everybody here in the Midwest, we feel like you know an hour and a half to get somewhere, two hours to get somewhere, three hours to get somewhere. Not really a big deal. Uh, whereas in some places it's like, what? I have to be in a car for three hours? Um, so certainly range is something that I've considered, but they do seem to have quite a few places to charge up. So I don't, ha- I wouldn't have too much of a concern with that. Uh, any last thoughts on that, Allison? Well, yeah. So uh, coming from Los Angeles, where it's three hours to drive across just the city, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
I did buy uh, a Tesla Model 3 and um, uh, taking into account all the things that you guys have said. In fact, Dan, I had a seven-year-old car that had nothing wrong with it too, but I bought one anyway. And the thing that surprised me, um, the, the, the charging aspects are uh, like a whole topic on their own. But what really surprised me about the Model 3 was that it's not just an electric vehicle. It's driving in the future. When you get in the car, there's basically a 15-inch iPad sitting in the center of the of the dash, and that's all of the controls. Like, there's not even air vents that you can control, like with the little flippy thing, you know, to make it get away from your face or get onto your face. You do all of that on a touchscreen, pinching and zooming and sliding up and down. Um, I, I can summon my car from an app on my phone. I have not done that because I find that terrifying. <laughs> but the uh, the technology on this thing is just bananas. I mean, it's not just the charging. The charging stuff's really fun, too. But uh, I'm really shocked at how much new technology stuff I've been having to read the manual. I'm maybe a tenth of a way done understanding what this car can do. So I think it's really cool from a from a tech nerd perspective um and i and then kind of almost on the back burner if you'll forgive the pun is the fact that i'm not polluting the environment nearly as much as with a uh an internal combustion engine so i think it's really cool and you guys should look at them they're really awesome all right allison's buying electric cars for everyone that's what i heard all right that is our last topic which means we've reached the end of the show but we have just enough time for a bonus question so really quick tell me a food that you discovered later on in your life that you actually liked Ange? best though yeah so that <laughs> uh as a kid i did not like asparagus and now it is my favorite vegetable and i can eat like seven bushels of asparagus i love asparagus so much i'm gonna have to go with brussels sprouts on this one as long as there's bacon involved <laughs> <laughs> the thing i've most recently discovered is uh nuts Never really liked nuts before, but I've started eating them. And you know what? They're pretty tasty. <laughs> so there we go. You learn something new every year, I guess. All right. That is the end of our show. All that remains is for us to thank our wonderful guest this week, Andrzej Tomic. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Pixie dust. That's all I'm going to say. Allison Sheridan, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. And Micah, by next week, I'm sure we'll have fixed the show this time for real. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> But until then, we will remind all of you listening out there, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye.